0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, thanking you for joining us today. This is part two on how to overcome an offense. You know, when you think about getting offended, we all have those times where we get stuck on something, but I don't want you to be stuck on an offense. Rick Amato said, The seed to your greatest power is hidden in the heart of your worst problem. Listen, when you're battling an offense... That thing, it feels like your very worst problem. It affects your sleep. It affects your relationships. It affects your drive and your determination. It affects your attitude about everything. Oh, somebody who's offended is harder to be won over than a great city. And so I want to encourage you from the power of God's word to learn to overcome offenses. You know, there's always going to be temptations to sin. But Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17 that if we are causing a brother or a sister to fall, we have a terrible fight that's coming against us. Can you think about the damage you're doing to your children, the damage you're doing to your co-workers, the damage you're doing to your friends and those who are in your inner circle if you can't get past an offense? You are teaching your children it's okay to be offended. It's okay to nurse a grudge. It's okay to become bitter. You are actually causing that person to be tempted. As a matter of fact, I know this is real because... Just this past week, I was dealing with somebody, and this person came from a family that was extremely negative. This person is stuck in a rut, and it's because those seeds of destruction were planted in this person's life. Listen now, they're culpable, right? They've got to get past that so that they don't pass that on to the next generation. And it is possible, but you've got to be willing to do it. You know, the Bible says, don't give an opportunity for the devil, Ephesians 4.27. I think if you're holding on to a grudge, you're giving the devil a lot of opportunities to wreak havoc within your life. And the sad thing about not being able to get past an offense, many times we don't even feel like we're stuck in that offense. We think it's everybody else. So you might be struggling with an offense if you find yourself compelled to always tell my side of the story. you think that nobody understands what you're going through, and so you spend hours and hours telling everybody about how bad your side is and how terrible life is. I oh, bet you're stuck, okay? You might be struggling with an offense if you feel like nobody understands your struggles. You're a whiner. You're a complainer. You're feeling like the victim. Complaining has been so much of your life. You can't live without complaining. Uh, that has become functional for you. Dysfunction has become function, and you don't even know how to function without dysfunction. Or you might be struggling with an offense if you have trouble being consistent to spiritual things. One of the things I look at is the consistency of people who are serving. Uh, If they can come and serve in in good times and in bad times, they have learned the secret of overcoming offense. Because whenever you work with people, people are going to rub you the wrong way. Inconsistent in giving, inconsistent in coming to worship, inconsistent in in serving. If that's where you are, then you might be struggling with an offense. Uh, Well, yesterday I told you the story about David and and his relationship with Ahithophel, and and how Ahithophel was the, the grandfather of Bathsheba. And as a result of what happened with David having that adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, Ahithophel took an offense, and Ahithophel betrays King David. Well, look at yesterday's broadcast for the rest of that story, but today I want to focus on what does the Bible say about overcoming an offense? Now, there's two categories of people who fall into an offense. Those who have been treated unjustly, you almost think that they deserve or they, they have the right to be offended. And to a certain degree, I understand that. But don't get stuck there, right? Because forgiveness must come in to release you from that offense. The second type of people that are offended are those who think they have been treated unjustly. Emphasis on think they have been treated unjustly. And I discovered that those who think they have been treated unjustly, that are the hardest to get out of if you truly have been treated unjustly, God's grace is sufficient. But how can God give you grace for an offense that is just a figment of your imagination? There's no grace available for that. And that's why I tell people when it comes to living your life, make sure you stay in your own swim lane. Because if you get in the swim lane of somebody else, you have no grace. God's grace is not sufficient for you to pick up an offense that somebody else has received. Uh, So if you think that you've been treated unjustly and you're confronted with the truth and you realize that you really haven't been treated unjustly, you got to be man enough, woman enough to own that, right? And that's where pride comes in. And generally, I've discovered that that is hard to overcome, right? Uh, To think that I was wrong, (laughs) that's a tough one, right? Pride doesn't want me to give in the fact that I was wrong. We don't like to own things. I was talking to a couple one time in a in a marriage counseling session, and, and I'll be honest with you, um, I don't do a whole lot of marriage counseling because I'm not a very good counselor. I don't have a whole lot of patience, and I don't have a lot of time. And and I tell people that if we cannot solve this problem or make some really good headway after a few sessions, uh, then we're probably not going to fix it because you're not ready to fix it. You don't want to fix it. You just want uh, somebody to kind of confirm you in the, in the pit that you're in. But those who think they have been treated unjustly, they can be set free. But they've got to stop nursing the offense because that does two destructive things. Number one, it keeps me from seeing my own character flaws. You know, if I'm constantly criticizing somebody else, I become blinded to my own flaws. I can't see them, and the other thing it does is not only does it keep me from seeing my own character flaws, but it defers blame to another. in other words, I'm not responsible because this person did this to me, whatever it is, fill in the blank, whatever it is. okay, so how do we get past this? How do we work through an offense what well, number one? Be open to the complete revelation of truth. Not just your side of the story, the complete. Because a brother that is offended is hard to be one in a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle, right? So once a brother is offended, or once a sister is offended, or allowed an offense into their minds, the task of reconciliation is very difficult, but it's not impossible. Realize as we look at the complete revelation of truth— Jesus is more concerned with giving the truth than he is from keeping you being offended. The truth can be very offensive, but the problem is not with the truth. The problem is you have become offended. Now, look at uh, what Jesus said in John chapter 6. He's got the Pharisees gathering around him, and, uh, and he's teaching the word, and his disciples are there, and it's a hard teaching, right? Right. And Jesus knew that those who were gathering around him, he knew that the teaching was bothering them. And so he asked, Does this bother you? Of course it was bothering them. Then it will also bother you to see the Son of Man going back to the place where he came from. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh doesn't give life. Jesus is driving home the point that it is the Spirit that was going to give them everlasting life through the power of the Spirit of God, not through their good works, not through their deeds but some of them didn't believe. They didn't want to believe that Jesus could give them forgiveness, that the Spirit of God could set them free. And Jesus knew from the very beginning that they didn't believe, and they're going to turn against him because they didn't believe they're going to get offended. So Jesus said, that is the reason I said, if the Father doesn't bring a person to me, that one cannot come. Can I tell you something about a believer who refuses to be reconciled? He's refusing to allow... The Father to do his work in his life. And after this, this is verse 66. After this, Jesus said, Many of the followers left him and they stopped following him. The truth was too much for them. And so Jesus then asked his 12 followers, hey, You guys want to leave too? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words to give everlasting life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One from God. Then Jesus answered, I chose all 12 of you, but uh, there's one of you that is a devil. He was obviously talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas, one of the 12. But later he was going to turn against Jesus. So the truth is where you must go. Be open to the complete revelation of the truth. And there's something else that we see about how Jesus handled those who were offended. Now, he didn't intentionally offend. Anybody, if you're a pastor listening to me, sometimes your message is going to offend people. Sometimes what you say is going to be offensive and we don't intend to be offensive. I don't wake up on Sunday morning and say, "Wow, I wonder how many people I can really get ticked off at me today." You know, I'm not one of these guys that want to walk around with a, a sticker on my back that says, "Kick me right? And I don't know any pastor that, that will live with that mindset that this morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to offend my congregation. You know, Jesus didn't intend to intentionally offend, but he, he refused to defend his own personal rights. Now look what Matthew 17 says. Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, the children of the king don't have to pay taxes. But we don't want to upset those tax collectors, so go to the lake and the fish, and after you catch that first fish— open his mouth and you will find a coin, take that coin and give it to the tax collectors for you and for me. So here we see Jesus saying, you know, I don't have any taxes. Children of the king don't pay taxes. He had the right not to pay taxes, but he set aside that right so that he wouldn't offend the tax collectors. He says, this is a small thing. This is not a hill worth dying on. Go to the lake and fish. And when you catch that first fish, open up the mouth, you'll find enough money to pay the tax. And then later on, Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, render unto God what which belongs to God. So when you're looking at an offense, are you offended over your personal rights being violated? And if you are, realize I have no rights. I am surrendered to Christ. You say, well, this is an offense that is real. Okay, let's talk about that. If the offense is real, confront it. Don't transfer it. And and this is what we tend to do, right? I'm ticked off with Sister So so and so, and instead of going to talk to Sister So and so, I'm going to talk to another brother or another sister. I'm going to transfer this offense to somebody else. If the offense is real, I must confront it. Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Then Jesus said in Romans 18, if your brother offends you, you go to your brother. Now, you don't talk about him to others. You talk to him, not about him. You confront it. You don't transfer it. If the offense is fabricated, if it's something that you have the wrong information on, it is created within your mind. You put one and one together and you got three. If the offense is fabricated, forget it. Don't continue to try to justify it. Don't dig your heels in and say, Well, I'm going to find something else then. You're looking for a reason to be offended. That is a fabricated offense. Fabricated offenses should be forgotten, not justified. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When you dig your heels in on a fabricated offense, you receive no blessing. You know, part of that word meaning blessed, it means to be happy, to be joyful, to be depression free. And sometimes we think that we have forgiven somebody, but we really haven't. When you forgive someone, then you are also forgiven by God. Jesus said, peace be with you. This is John 20, 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. When you fully forgive, God's peace will rest upon you and the Holy Spirit will comfort you. You see, when I forget an offense that's fabricated, the Holy Spirit rests completely on me. I receive comfort from him. What I think Jesus is saying, when we forgive someone, We no longer hold that offense over that person. We have released them from that offense. Now, we do not have the ability to forgive somebody who has sinned against God. So Jesus isn't saying, I forgive them. He says, they will be forgiven. When we forgive, God's peace rests upon us and His Holy Spirit comforts us. We need that comfort. We need that peace because we tend to unforgive or do silly things like judge a person's response to our forgiveness, we forgive regardless of how that person we forgive responds. That's when we're set free. So the first step in overcoming offenses, be open to the complete revelation of the truth. Number two, be courageous. Remove that mask. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we discover that the church was bringing believers to court, having lawsuits, And Paul says, you know, this is a real defeat of you. Why not accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be treated? But instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and you cheat even your own Christian brothers and sisters. Now, this is looking at the heart of lawsuits between believers. This was a real defeat to the church at Corinth. And it's still something that we battle today. Believers taking believers to court. Why shouldn't believers take another believer to court? Because the world does not judge with Christ in mind. And we as believers are to forgive instead of litigate. You know, few people in our judicial system really have an accurate understanding of spiritual matters. The late Supreme Court Justice Scalia was an exception. In 2013, he was interviewed and he was asked about the devil. During his interview with the New York Magazine, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, who passed away back in 2016, explained his beliefs about the reality of the devil. After mentioning his belief in a real heaven and a hell, he interjected, I even believe in the devil. Uh, The interviewer continued and really was emboldened by that statement, and the interview says, you do? Well, of course, he is real. Well, have you seen evidence of the devil lately? You know, it's curious. In the Gospels, the devil is doing all sorts of things. He makes pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and, and whatnot. And that doesn't happen very much anymore. It's because he's smart. Okay, the interview asked, well, what's he doing now? What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him, not to believe in God. He's much more successful that way. I mean, come on. Uh, that's the explanation for why there's not demonic possession all over the place. That always puzzled me. What happened to the devil? You know, I mean, where is he? He used to be all over the place. He used to be all over the New Testament. What happened to him? Well, I know what happened to him. He got wilier. isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? The interviewer asks Scalia. Oh yeah, yeah, you're looking at me as though I'm weird. And Scalia says, "Listen, are you out of touch with most of America, most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in the circles that are so so removed from the mainstream of America that you are appalled." That anybody would believe in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. So the the devil is alive and well. And he would love for you to keep up that mask, keep up that pretend that everything's okay, living dishonestly. I wanna tell you something be courageous, remove that mask, say, you know what, I have been offended be man enough, woman enough to say, you know what? You're right. I have been offended. What you said hurt me. What you did hurt me. And I I, want to acknowledge that I am offended. I'm going to be courageous enough and I'm going to be pretending like everything's okay. I'm not just going to get mad and leave. I'm going to own this offense and I'm going to seek forgiveness. Well, there's a third step that I think we can take if we want to overcome an offense. Number one, be open to the truth. Number two, remove that mask. And number three, be patient. Remain doing what you know you should be doing without taking revenge. You see, it is righteous for God to avenge his servants. It is unrighteous for God's servants to avenge themselves. One preacher put it this way, you know, you can't fight with a pig. Without coming out smelling like a pig. How do I remain you know connected without taking revenge when I am offended? Well, let me give you a couple of suggestions. When you think about loyalty to God, loyalty to God is measured by loyalty to God's leaders. And I discovered when people get offended, especially within the church, all of a sudden. They get offended, and they're no longer loyal to God's leaders. You know, most churches that you join, part of their membership covenant is that you will be loyal to the leaders of the church. When a person is offended, all of a sudden, they think that they're loyal to God, but they're disloyal to God's servants, God's leaders. And somehow they have been able to justify this Incongruence in the fact that they think they can be right with God and wrong with God's leaders. Let's look at an Old Testament example, maybe to help give a little more clarity of this. Loyalty to God is measured by loyalty to God's leaders. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says that David came to the sheep pens along the way. There was a cave there, and Saul went in there to relieve himself, and David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he, that is you, will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. In other words, David's servants are saying, now David, God promised you that you're going to be taking over the throne, that God was going to put your enemy in your hands. This is the time right now. So David crept in unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. But after he did it, David was conscience-driven for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is God's anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out to the cave and called out to Saul, By Lord the King! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself before and put his face to the ground and just said, Saul, why do you listen when men said David is bent on harming you? Now look at what David did not do. David could have taken out Saul, but he recognized he would not be right with God if he removed God's leader prematurely. You see, God was going to take care of removing Saul. That was not David's responsibility. As a matter of fact, David was conscience stricken or comes under conviction just because he cut off the corner of the robe of Saul. He said to his man, God forbid that I should touch the anointed, the Lord's anointed. And David sharply rebuked his men. He didn't coddle them. He didn't even coddle himself. He says, man, I'm under conviction that I did this. Is Saul a perfect king? No, he's far from perfect. Saul was messed up, but David refused to go against God's anointed. In 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, it says, "But my, uh, but God has set the members of them in the body just as He has pleased." God raises up church leaders to help you navigate through offenses. Don't create an offense against a church leader just because you don't agree with them. You know, when you think about another thing that you can do instead of taking revenge, let the offense die. Don't rehearse it. It only grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you get yourself in a hole. You dig yourself in a hole. Somebody says, when you dig yourself in a hole, stop digging. That's the first act. Don't let the offense continue to fester. Don't rehearse it. Let the offense die. In Proverbs 26, 20, it says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. And then number three, remain firmly planted in the church. The enemy's goal is to get you disconnected from the body of Christ. And if he can use an offense to do it, so be it. He'll use an offense to do it. His goal is to separate you from your lifeline. Psalm 92, verse number 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. We could say the opposite is true. When you are not planted in the house of the Lord, when you're out there in between churches, not connected with any church, you will not flourish. You will not do well. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise counsel. Oh, I want to encourage you. Don't nurse that Offense. And then minister grace. Minister love to somebody. I love how it's said in Philippians chapter 1. And this is a prayer, right? This is Paul's prayer. And he says, My prayer is that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is at best and you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. We're told in Romans 14, to pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. You see, it's more important to help a stumbling brother get back up on his feet than it is to prove that I am right. Well, thank you for listening to this broadcast today. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And if I can pray specifically for you, Shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. Thank you so much. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557. Or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.